Thank you so much. Um, give me some more jazz hands if you can hear me okay. All right, I think I can see most of you. Um, ah, thank you so much for that beautiful centering meditation, Sarah. That was just what I needed. Um, and we're going to be doing a little bit more of that um, in a slightly different um, modality, but in a few minutes we'll get into that. Uh, I always love gathering with the open table. I've been, I was sharing with my breakout group that um, I've been uh, around uh, from the very beginning of the open table because I know Nick from, uh, from previous uh, things in the past. Uh, and so anyway, it's always good to come back to the open table. I love everything that the open table stands for and represents the work that you do and the community that you create. So uh, I, although I am not here every, uh, every time you gather, it always feels a little bit like home. And now we're kind of having to figure out how to make this um, space work where we are connecting through our screens. Um, this is a, a new reality for many of us. Uh, I've been spending so much time on Zoom, I'm thinking of sending change of address cards these days. Um, and so it's, uh, it's interesting. And so I want to say uh, that I'm learning this with you together. I have the chat window open and I am um, going to be uh, paying attention to it. So at any moment, if you have anything that you would like to interject or, uh, or say or share or have a question, um, feel free to, to send it in the chat and I'll try to respond um, as is appropriate. Well, um, we uh, have just uh, celebrated the 50th um, anniversary of Earth Day this week. And so this uh, series um, when, where we are focusing and centering on, on our relationship to Earth, um, to, to our planet, um, is very, uh, of course, timely. Um, and it's something that in our own temple at the Remay Center, we have been um, focusing a lot on in the last uh, few months, um, how we connect and relate to our environment, how we take care of our environment, and how we can be better um, and not just stewards, but better uh, inhabitants of, of this planet and this home that we all share. Um, a few weeks ago, I, I was uh, sharing with, uh, with our temple, and um, I went back and revisited the etymology for ecology. Um, and ecology means uh, ecos, oikos comes from the Greek oikos, which means home. Um, and so in a very true sense, this planet uh, that we are living on, this is our home. And it's a home that we share with every sentient being and every organism um, and every plant and structure and thing that lives on it. So when we talk about the environment, we are talking about the home that we share. And for a lot of us, home has taken on a new meaning uh, this past month, this past few weeks, when we're spending so much time in our homes. Um, so, so much to think about um, and so much to talk about. Um, as Sarah mentioned in the introduction, um, I am a hospital chaplain, and uh, I have been, my, my daily routine has been um, pretty much the same as it was before um, our uh, stay-at-home orders went into place, except that the hospital is a very different place, as you might imagine, um, these days. And so I've been going in and uh, caring for patients. Um, one thing that I always uh, like to remind people of is that although, yes, we are caring for uh, COVID patients and patients who are um, uh, 
being uh, awaiting results from their COVID tests. We also have a lot of uh, patients who are not COVID patients. And because of our uh, stay at home guidelines, uh, we have very strict visitor restrictions um, at the hospital. So we have a lot of patients who are still uh, in the hospital who have not been able to have visits from their families, from their loved ones. Um, and so they're very lonely and this creates a very, um, very uh, stressful environment for them already being in a vulnerable position uh, in a vulnerable place um, and being so feeling so isolated from family. So a lot of what we're doing is really companioning. And um, that is very, uh, very much in line with how I approach my work of chaplaincy and spiritual care it's, as companion. And so tonight we are companioning each other uh, in this space through our screens as we think about how we relate and connect to our environment, to our home, um, to this planet that we share. And to begin, I would like to share with you one of my favorite picture books. I love picture books. Um, I, uh, I use them a lot in my work and in, in just everything that I do. Um, and so I want to read for you. We'll have story time with Sergio, if, if that's okay with you. Um, but this is a book that I found a couple of years ago, and it has been, um, it quickly became one of my favorites. And it's titled, You Are Stardust. And it's written um, by Ellen Kelsey. And the artwork is by Soyeon Kim. Um, you can see their names there. So if you want to get cozy and comfy, and if you have, you know, your tea or your coffee or whatever you're having, just kind of lay back and relax. And I'm going to read for you this, this book to kind of help us center um, tonight. You are stardust. Every tiny atom in your body came from a star that exploded long before you were born. You started life as a single cell. So did all other creatures on planet Earth. Like fish deep in the ocean, you called salt water home. You swam inside the salty sea of your mother's womb. Salt still flows through your veins, your sweat, and your tears. The sea within you is as salty as the ocean. The water swirling in your glass once filled the puddles where dinosaurs walked and drank. From the ocean to sky to land and back again, the same water has been quenching thirsts for millions of years. You learned to speak the same way baby birds learn to sing, by chatting with your parents. Ma, 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 tweet, tweet, tweet. You can hear our birds tonight, maybe. Be still, listen. Like you, the earth breathes. Your breath is alive with the promise of flowers. Each time you blow a kiss to the world, you spread pollen that might grow to be a new plant. Inside your brain, electricity stronger than lightning powers your every thought. You sneeze with the force of a tornado. Wind rockets from your nose quicker than a cheetah sprints. 
You grow at night when your bones are resting, just like the sheep you count to help you sleep. You may sprout even taller in the spring and summer, just like the plants in your garden. Your hair falls like autumn leaves. You tend to shed the most hair in early autumn and save your thickest growth for the heart of winter. Your body constantly changes. New cells lie in your stomach every three days. You'll replace your skin 100 times by the time you turn 10. Some of you are probably a little over 10. Just as forests grow new trees in place of old ones, you grow entirely new skeletons throughout your life. If you were a planet, you would be a lot like the Earth. Rainforests on land and algae in the oceans are the Earth's lungs. From your head to your toes, inside and out, billions of teeny microorganisms live on planet you. You know how it feels to be a good friend, and so do other animals. Bats and sperm whales get their friends to babysit. Elephants remain best buddies for life. You, me, birds flying through the rainforest, we are all connected. We are all nature. We are all stardust. your jazz hands. I love this book. And um, this book at the heart of this really is um, the core of what we believe in my tradition, which is Buddhism, um, which is that all sentient beings, that all organisms are interconnected. We are deeply interwoven. And so one of the first truths that we are taught in our tradition is that, uh, the, the truth of no self, the truth that there is no separate I from other, that we are actually uh, of the same essence and of the same source. And so this book really speaks to me in that. And the other thing I love about this book is that it really brings to mind the fact that we, no matter who we are, no matter what we believe or where we come from or what we look like or how we love, we are all of the same source and the same essence as the earth itself. So this idea that, uh, that we are stardust, which was, I think, popularized some um, many years ago by Carl Sagan when he talked. I think it was Carl Sagan who said, if you want to make an apple pie from scratch, first you must create the universe. Um, and then he would also talk about how we are made from star stuff. Um, it's so true. All of us, you and I, are made of the same stuff. And so is the earth. So from the Buddhist perspective, there is this interconnectedness, this we call it dependent origination. And it's this idea that nothing can exist uh, complete, in complete isolation from all other things. That there is no thing that can be created or come into being uh, in a vacuum, but rather that there are causes and conditions that lead to any and all things and all phenomena. So the fact that we are gathering here tonight is the result of many causes and conditions. You received an invitation, you made time to come and join us. And before that, you had to wake up this morning. And before that, you had to go to bed. And way before that, you had to be born. So there are so many causes and conditions that lead um, 
to every moment, to every instance, every phenomenon that we, that we can encounter or experience. And I think that that is especially true when we think about our relationship to our environment. Today, we are dealing with the consequences of decisions that were made by people before we were even born. Uh, in terms of industry, in terms of how we treat waste, how we uh, care for the earth, how we uh, manage forests and all of these other uh, things that we are seeing, are, they're the result of years and decades and in some ways even centuries um, of decisions being made by our ancestors. And so what we do today um, is in, in a way trying to alleviate the suffering that has been perpetuated for, for a very long time. So we're not dealing with a problem that was just created or that just came into being. We are dealing with a greater, um, the result of many decisions, many causes and conditions. And um, this decade, which is being called um, the decisive decade, I think the decisive decade um, is uh, the terminology that I have heard at least, is a time when we really uh, have to redouble our efforts. If we want um, to have a planet that is livable, that, is, uh, that can continue to be as beautiful and life-giving as our planet has been, um, we are really gonna have to pay attention and make some, uh, some big change. And so tonight, we're not gonna go out and gather trash or uh, perhaps even plant a rain garden, although you should definitely do that if you can. Um, but we're gonna go to the source because in, our, in the Buddhist tradition, uh, we are working with matters of thought, uh, uh, speech, and deed. And so we're going to the source, which is thought. Everything begins with a thought. Before we can take action, before we can decide whether or not um, to choose disposable materials or reusable materials, there is a thought um, that leads to that action. And so what, what I want to share with you tonight is a practice um, that deals with the very heart of the matter before anything happens. Um, what happens in the mind, what happens in the heart that leads to a course of action or to a decision um, that is being made. And so the practice I want to share with you tonight comes from the Buddhist tradition. In particular, it comes from the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, but it is a practice that is open to all people. You don't have to be a Buddhist. You don't have to believe anything. Um, and by practicing this, you are not compromising any of your own um, uh, beliefs or traditions. Um, this is a practice called Tonglen. It's a funny word. It's spelled T-O-N-G-L-E-N. -E and it's a compound word. It's a Tibetan compound word that means sending and taking or uh, giving and taking. Um, and this is a practice that comes from a tradition, uh, a monastic tradition of mind training. Um, I've been one of the things we've been doing during quarantine is we've been watching Star Wars. So it kind of feels a little bit like a Jedi mind trick, but it's not. Um, there will be no levitating. There will be no uh, telekinetic powers happening here. But we are working with mind because we believe that when we work with mind, uh, we can change um, the outcomes um, of our decisions and our actions. So Tonglin, this compound word that means sending and um, taking, uh, comes from this tradition of mind training. Um, and what it does is it helps us to break our habitual patterns. It kind of gets us out of our, uh, of our rut or of our habitual way of thinking by uh, kind of turning things upside down. 
Okay, I'm looking at this. Amazing, two Star Wars references. Oh, wonderful. I'm glad, happy to contribute. Um, uh, I, I'm happy to say that I uh, was a bit of a Star Wars uh, uh, newbie. Um, so I saw the first two movies a long time ago when they came out in the theaters, the, the old ones. And so now with our daughters, we are watching the whole thing from beginning to end. So right now we are on, we finished episode two last night. So we're five movies in. We were told the right way to do it was to watch the first three movies and not in sequential order, but in chronological order. So anyway, I hope we're doing it the right way. It seems like there's a lot of rules about this. Um, but anyway, back to Lojong and mind training. And these are all words that sound a little funny and, and weird, but really what it comes to is setting an intention and really being very disciplined about following an, in an intention. Mind training is a lot like physical training. So some of you uh, are probably into working out. I, I am not, I don't, I don't know how to get into that mode. I've tried many times, but what I do know about exercising is that it's something that is not done after you do it a few times, but rather it's something you build up on. When you go to the gym for the first time, maybe you can you know, lift 10 pounds, uh, but if you continue to go, or maybe you can walk, 30 minutes on the treadmill. But as you continue to go and you continue to push yourself a little bit more, uh, you develop that muscle, you develop that ability um, to do more and to really change your body um, and the way that you um, relate to your body. The same is true for mind training. So in this practice of Tonglin, as I'm going to share with you here in a few minutes and guide you through it, what we're gonna be doing is a practice of visualization. Wave your hands if you're familiar with this idea of visualization. Okay, visualization is just a fancy word for imagination. And all of us uh, have at some point, hopefully still, uh, oh, squirrel. <laughs> this is great. I just got distracted, uh, not by a squirrel, but by the word squirrel. On the, uh, this is awesome. Uh, side note, you, you may see a special appearance by our three um, leucistic squirrels. Uh, there are three squirrels that are white in our neighborhood. And my daughter has named them Popcorn, Snowball, and Marshmallow. So one of them might show up tonight, we'll see. They're very cute. Um, anyway, this practice of Tonglin, what we're doing is visualization. And visualization is really just, like I said, a fancy word for imagination. And what we do is very much like what Sarah was leading us through. As we close our eyes and we really focus our attention um, on what we're doing, whether it's touching the ground or in some way being grounded. Um, this is the practice of, uh, of um, visualization. Thank you so much, Wendy, for, for posting that on there. That's the, uh, if you were wondering how it's spelled, that's right there on your chat screen. Um, so sending and taking. And what we're doing in this practice, this is a practice that it's done to alleviate suffering. In Mahayana Buddhism, our greatest calling is to alleviate the suffering of others, of all sentient beings. And Tonglen is uh, the, one of the first steps that we do um, to achieve that. Um, so what we do in our visualization is we imagine very vividly, as vividly as we are able to, the suffering of others. And then as we imagine that suffering, because we understand what they're going through, or maybe we don't even have a clue what they're going through, but we know that they're going through something difficult or painful or challenging, we can hold the feeling and the emotion and the sensation of that suffering and then 
we, we do a breathing meditation where we breathe in that suffering and we imagine that it is a thick cloud of smoke that is burning and that is very unpleasant. And then as we breathe out uh, clean, refreshing air, we breathe out the alleviation for that suffering. So perhaps it's peace or loving kindness or compassion or justice. Um, and so that is what the practice consists of. Now, very important in this practice, as in all other meditative practices um, of this sort, whether it's a loving kindness meditation or a centering meditation, is that we begin with ourselves. Um, this is also counterintuitive for a lot of us, the idea that we begin with ourselves. But uh, if it helps, you can think of uh, the instruction on an airplane um, about the air masks, right? Um, the instruction is put your mask on before you put your mask on, the mask on your child. Um, we have to be able to care for ourselves before we can care um, for others. Um, and we have to be able to grant ourselves the same compassion and grace and loving kindness that we are wishing to grant to others. Um, so in this practice, we begin with ourselves. So what, I, what we'll do in the next few minutes is I will lead you um, through this guided meditation, this Tongban meditation, and we will be doing a focus on our relationship with our environment and with the earth. Um, typically, when we do this practice, we are holding the suffering of people and other sentient beings. Um, but I think it's, it works perfectly fine when we think also about the suffering of our planet and the, uh, the, the, the illness that, um, that, that our planet is experiencing due to pollution, due to um, uh, overforestation, um, deforestation, and all of other the other um, situations that are happening around the world today. So before we begin this, any questions, any thoughts, any comments um, as we launch into this practice together? I'm eating a quick bite of papaya. I didn't get to finish my snack during breakout group. Does this make sense so far? I see some heads nodding and I see some thumbs up. One of the things that is very important in this practice and in any visualization practice is, um, I grew up in a tradition that is not the one I, I am a part of today. And the tradition I grew up in, prayer had a very uh, different um, uh, function and uh, modality than prayer does today for me. And so in this practice of prayer, it can be very, um, there can be this tendency to think, well, what's happening? We're just imagining these things and what's actually happening? Nothing's happening, right? So I want to invite you to actually um, think of this, this can be a form of prayer or a con contemplative practice. And I like to think of this in the way that um, an, actually a Christian theologian, Sorian Kierkegaard, talked about prayer. And what he uh, said about prayer, or this quote is attributed to him. I, I think he did say it. Um, but what he said about prayer is that prayer does not change God, but prayer changes the one who prays. Um, that is precisely the, intent, the understanding that we can have about this practice. In this practice, we are going to be holding the suffering of others. And when we get up from our chair or cushion or wherever we're sitting, it doesn't mean that those problems will have been solved or that we will have caused some miracle to happen, but we will have been changed. And that is why we talk about this as going to the heart of this, uh, 
of, of the situation, right? Because once we can begin to change ourselves and our understanding of the world and the suffering of others, then we can begin to alleviate the suffering of others. So um, any other, any question or thought? And I think you can either chat or maybe you can be unmuted. I don't know. I've been talking a lot. Okay. Well, are we ready to, are we ready to begin? Okay, let us begin. We've already done some centering um, at the beginning of our time together. So um, this is just a moment to kind of, as we say in my home, get your wiggles out um, and find a comfortable seated position. Um, I see some fancy wiggles getting out. Um, Get comfortable in your seat. Get comfortable inside your body, in your body. Um, we've already done some embodied and grounded practice. Come back to that sensation of being in your body, of feeling safe and at home in your body. Um, so as you begin to settle your body into your, your seat, um, take a couple of deep breaths. And now, if you're comfortable, if you would like, feel free to close your eyes gently. Our sensation in our body should be one of comfort and ease, but also one of alertness. If you feel like you're falling asleep, that's okay. You probably need some rest, some sleep. So be kind and gentle with yourself. It's okay. But if you're able to remain alert and engaged, that is the most suited attitude for this practice of giving and taking. And now as you breathe in, bring to mind into your feeling the weight or the suffering or the dissatisfaction that you bring with yourself tonight. What have you brought into this space? Perhaps it's exhaustion, perhaps it's illness, uncertainty, frustration, fear. Whatever dissatisfaction you are carrying tonight, be present to that in a very true sense, allow yourself to feel those emotions, those sensations, wherever they are felt or experienced in your body. And as you breathe in this time, breathing in, imagine or visualize that this dissatisfaction is a thick cloud of smoke. And as you breathe in, it burns, it is unpleasant hurts. And as you breathe out, release it, breathing out a clean, refreshing gust of wind that brings peace, that brings equanimity, that brings loving kindness and compassion for yourself. 
breathing in again that dissatisfaction, that exhaustion that you carried tonight. It's a thick cloud of smoke. Breathing out refreshing cool air of peace and equanimity. We begin this practice with ourselves. And then gradually we expand that circle to include those nearest to us, loved ones, partners, whomever you hold dearest and nearest to your heart. Now bring to mind their suffering and their dissatisfaction. We can't experience what it is to have their suffering, but we try. And so we hold their suffering. We hold space for their dissatisfaction. And as we breathe in this thick cloud of dark smoke, we imagine that we are breathing in their dissatisfaction and their suffering. And breathing out, we send a clean, refreshing air of compassion, loving kindness, and ease. Now our circle expands a little bit further to include extended family, friends, acquaintances, coworkers. There is so much suffering in our world today. Some of it is caused by nature, natural circumstances. Some of it is caused by our own choices and decisions. Nevertheless, the suffering is there. And so as you think of those people who are close to you, in your home or far away, breathe in that suffering as a thick burning cloud of isolation, loneliness, uncertainty, desperation, frustration, and breathing out, breathe out community, the refreshing air of togetherness, of connection, of understanding, and empathy. Now our circle expands even further to include our communities, places where we live, where we work, our neighborhoods, and our city. And we breathe in the suffering that our city is experiencing right now. With businesses closed down, with people unemployed, with loss of income. And we breathe in all that suffering and that uncertainty and that dissatisfaction. Allow yourself to feel even just a portion of that suffering. And then for one second before we release it, wish as you breathe out resolution, peace, stability, 
food security, justice. We continue to grow these circles as ripples on water to include our state and our nation. And as we breathe in, trying to make sense of the numbers that we see every day, the lives that have been lost, and the people who are grieving and mourning in this very new and painful way, a different kind of grief, a different kind of pain. We breathe in all of that suffering as a thick cloud of smoke that burns, that is unpleasant. And as we breathe out, we wish and hope for peace, hope for nurturing, for companioning, for equanimity. We expand our circle even further now to include all other nations in this world. We are living through a time that affects every single person on this planet without regard for nationality, sex, gender, race, or economic status. So we hold just a fraction of that suffering, of that dissatisfaction, of that illness. And we breathe in this unsettling, disconcerting cloud of smoke, hoping to share for one moment in the suffering of others, to not be blind, to not be untouched by the hurt that we see that surrounds us, that exists throughout the whole world. And as we breathe out, we breathe out clear, cool, refreshing air of wholeness, of kindness, compassion, understanding, Now we shift our attention to the suffering of our planet, Earth, this magnificent place that is our home. And whatever you know or are informed of or have seen of the suffering that we have inflicted on our planet through climate change, pollution, deforestation, hold the suffering of our world, of our planet. Breathe it in like thick clouds of smoke that are painful and disconcerting. And breathing out, we breathe out a cool, refreshing air of health, of caring, of responsibility and accountability 
of protection and nurturing for our home and for all who inhabit our home. And now sit with that feeling of wholeness and equanimity for just a moment. gently we bring our attention back into our room into our space and we're back well i want to thank you for uh, allowing me to share this practice with you um, as i said a practice that although it comes from the Tibetan tradition, really is a practice that is uh, available to all, regardless of faith or spiritual identity. And really a practice that cultivates empathy. So we have a few minutes, I think, um, for discussion, questions, feedback. I would love to hear from anybody who might like to share what that was like, if uh, perhaps if this was the first time you were doing a practice like this, what that might have been like, or if it's something that you think you might want to incorporate to your day or your life. So I see that Taylor is saying, "I feel very calm and peaceful." Good. I'm 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 glad to hear that. This should be uh, calming and peaceful. So I'm grateful that you have that experience. Anyone else? Yeah, and just to reiterate what Sergio was saying is if, if anybody would like to unmute themselves and share, you're, you're more than welcome to. Um, also, if you have questions, I invite you to send it to me um, in the chat. And um, so Sergio can see it and we'll try to get through as many questions and reflections as we can in the time we have remaining. Okay. If we are breathing in the injustice or black smoke, where can we put that in our body? Or are we changing that into the clean air? We breathe out. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, the whole point of this practice is to really um, be connected to the suffering of, of others. I think a lot of us, especially today, with everything we're dealing with, it's, it's sometimes what we need is to not be watching the news and to not know about horrible things happening in the world. And that's important for our self-care. So that's very important. But there's also this sense that we don't want to be so isolated from the suffering of others that we're indifferent to it. So there's a fine balance that we want to maintain. And what we're doing when we're breathing in that, uh, this visualization of the thick burning smoke, it's really uncomfortable and really unpleasant. That's not, that doesn't feel good. That's not a good visual. Um, and it shouldn't be. Um, we should be, uh, this is kind of like that maxim from art that says, afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. Right? When we find ourselves being too comfortable, perhaps we need to pay attention to the suffering that's going on around us. And when we are afflicted, then we need to be comforted. So when we are breathing in that uncomfortable, that horrible smoke, and it's almost suffocating, 
um, as we breathe out, we are purifying that. So we're kind of like a little a bit of a Brita filter or an air purifier of, um, of suffering. And then as we breathe out, we are transforming that and uh, sending it out um, as, um, as equanimity and peace and whatever is needed um, as a solution for that suffering. So we are changing that. We are not keeping that in ourselves. Um, we are um, transforming it. So maybe filter is not a good metaphor because... Uh, we're not there's nothing left behind we're actually transforming it um, but yeah good question from emily sergio i have a question for you i'm curious to know so the open table we're, we're a community that tries to balance action and contemplation and this practice i think is very valuable um, to connect uh, uh, to connect to ourselves, to connect to our communities, uh, to, to connect to the earth. Um, and I would just be curious to hear you speak a little of how you balance action and contemplation, like how you um, go about that transformation internally and then uh, engage in the world. Um, well, I think what you described this is absolutely true for Buddhist practice as well and for my personal practice. Um, these contemplative practices are absolutely essential for me to be able to go and do work. Um, so the balance is very necessary. Um, I think that, I mean, you can do work without your heart being in it, but I think that we all know what it's like to, to do work when we are committed to it, when we feel deeply and personally engaged in it, like invested. Um, we, don't, we don't help those in need just because it's a nice thing to do. Um, but because we believe truly that we are helping everybody when we are helping those in need. Um, so with this practice, what it's doing is it's really transforming our own uh, way of seeing and, and why we do things, um, why we care about the suffering of others, why we should care, um, because essentially the suffering of others really is our suffering as well. Um, there has to be a balance there. Of course, I, we're not, I don't, I have no idea what it's like to be any of you or to go through what you go through in your day. Um, but I know what it's like to be human and to also be afflicted and have suffering. And so in some way we can connect and feel um, uh, identified in our suffering um, and in our liberation as well. So we do have to balance that. And so um, it's not enough to, a lot of the times what we're told in our training and in our practices, when you sit down to meditate, that's just, that's the practice. The actual work begins when you get off the cushion and when you actually practice compassion and you practice loving kindness um, and you truly do the work that you are um, preparing to do on the mat um, or on the cushion. So definitely there must be a balance. Um, I think it's interesting today we're all, I feel like all of us, most of us have our feelings and our emotions are really close to the surface. Um, I'll be watching a cartoon with my daughters and something happens and it makes me cry. I'm like, why am I crying? This is crazy. Um, and I think we're really in touch with really close to our emotions right now. So this is actually a great time to be doing Tonglen because what we want to do is connect with those emotions. Why do I feel hurt when somebody else is hurting? Um, it's not affecting me, right? It's not hurting me. Well, from a Buddhist perspective, it truly is affecting you. So that balance of uh, thought, speech, and action uh, is very important. I read a, um, a friend from 
from my temple shared this quotation. Um, and I think this is a good time to share this. Let me see. How has the Buddhist tradition impacted your care for the earth or vice versa? Oh, um, you know, I believe, like His Holiness the Dalai Lama says, that all religious traditions and spiritual traditions and even no spiritual tradition have the same uh, potential to develop compassionate human beings. Um, it doesn't mean that all religions are the same, but we, they all have the same potential to develop compassionate human beings. So there are things from my embedded theology as growing up in Christianity that are still very much true today. This idea of caring for creation uh, is very much part of my uh, Christian upbringing. But from a Buddhist perspective, really what has changed this, this uh, what I was talking about earlier, interconnectedness and dependent origination everything is, is uh, connected and in relation. So when I don't take care of the planet, the planet will not be able to sustain me and everyone else. So I think that this idea of interconnectedness is really um, at the heart of how my approach to, the, to caring for the earth has changed. One of my uh, neighbors is caring for their deck right now. I think you can probably hear that. Um, I'm going to read this quote from you, which actually, um, interestingly, comes from the Christian from a Christian figure. This is um, Pope Francis, um, and uh, one of my friends at the Remay Center shared this with me. And he says, "Rivers do not drink their own water; trees do not eat their own fruit. The sun does not shine on itself, and flowers do not spread their fragrance for themselves. Living for others is a rule of nature." We are all born to help each other, no matter how difficult it is. Life is good when you are happy, but much better when others are happy because of you. This is very much at the heart of what we believe and practice in, in the Buddhist tradition. Thank you so much, Sergio.